right. It's good to see you guys today. God is so good. We're so grateful to Him. Uh, what a great morning so far. Uh, worship, powerful people responding to God. It just doesn't get any better than this. And um, so I want to welcome our Facebook live audience, our live stream audience. Uh, it's always an honor that you join us. Even though you're not with us, we'd love for you to be with us. Uh, but it, uh, second best is joining us and um, hope to see you soon. Um, also, for those who are note takers, uh, some of you like to have, you know, the information in front of you. Where's this guy going? You know, all that stuff. In the app are the notes for this message. We provide them every week as best we can. And uh, we've been in a series called Tech Support. And, you know, uh, we chose this title because the reality is some of the most annoying things in life is dealing with electronics and the problems with electronics. But interestingly, there's some correlation to our lives related to tech problems. And, and so um, today, I want to bring a new message to you. We, we started on Easter Sunday with the topic of reset. My wife uh, preached last week, and she spoke on the topic of reconnecting, and today I want to talk to you about restoring, and restoring happens when you have, at least for me, I, I had a hard drive crash on me, on my computer, and you know, if you're not careful, you could lose everything, all your data, everything that you have, and that could be very catastrophic. Um, fortunately, I had this this feature on my computer called Time Machine. And Time Machine backs up, and essentially it backs up all of your information. So after, after going around in circles several times with, with tech people to help me um, upload the operating system, it wasn't taken, it wasn't taken, it was just getting stalled, nothing was happening. Um, finally, I just got a new hard drive and did a Time Machine uh, restore. It restored every file to my computer. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It's such an awesome feature. And, you know, I'm not here to talk to you about computer stuff, as you could imagine. Um, but it's sort of my launching point, because, um, you know, some of us need some restoration in our lives. You know, some of us need to get back to what we once were or who we were called to be. So in uh, the Webster's Dictionary, I looked up the word restore, and it says this, to return someone or something to a former condition, place, or position. To return someone or something to a former condition, place, or position. All right, and you know, when you think about it in our lives, we, you know, there's shows made of things that are restored. There's old houses that are restored. There's old cars that are restored. Uh, there's old furniture that's restored. And it becomes prized possession because not only of the value and the nostalgia associated with these things that get restored, but also because of the hard work and effort. And it's a prize because look at what I've done, you know. And it's amazing when things are restored to what they were formerly uh, created to display. It is amazing. And, and so we, we see all this stuff return to its former glory. And, and, you know, the Bible is amazing, too, as it talks about restoration. But actually, a, a few weeks ago, the Notre Dame Cathedral, many of you saw it on the news, began burning. And, um, you know, there was major, major damage. And I saw on the news that uh, French President Macron uh, made a request that people make donations to the restoration of this cathedral. And within one day, $1 billion was pledged to restore the Notre Dame Cathedral. That thing is going to be restored to its former glory. $1 billion. Can you imagine? I mean, that's an artifact. It's, it's, I'm sure it's glorious. I've never been to France but the reality is, what if the need was so great in the body of Christ that people would say, I am going to give you all that you need to change the world? You know, missionaries should not be 
without lack. Actually, I wasn't even thinking about talking about this, but the reality is I'm stunned that $1 billion was pledged in a 24-hour period. It shocks me, you know? Uh, That's amazing. I think it's great. I have no problem with it. But that Notre Dame Cathedral, maybe a decade, maybe longer it'll take, but that will be restored. It'll be restored. Um, and, And that's very, very cool. I want you to know something. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of restoration. He is in the business of restoring people to their original place, position, purpose. And he's very, very good at it. He's very good at it. And I I believe that there's going to be some very powerful restoration taking place today. I've been praying for you. I've been asking God to move powerfully. Maybe in your life, you know, maybe in your life, you're you're only a a figment or a shadow as far as your dream, uh, as dream pursuits. It's only like a, a figment of what it once was. Maybe in your life you once had these big aspirations, you, you had these big goals, you had these big passions that you were going after, and you would talk about it and tell people about it. But somehow, somewhere along the way, something happened. And I believe it's time for that to be restored, those things that God put on your heart. It's a good day. It's a day of restoration. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. You know, you're sitting in here and you know, you're scraping by day to day. It's a struggle. You don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know if a month from now you're going to be together or not. And God is a God of restoration. He is into healthy marriages. And I'm believing, I'm believing by faith that God is going to be, bring restoration to marriages. And, and there's, there's other elements um, in our lives. You know, some of us have lost trust in God. Some of us have lost our joy. Some of us have lost our hope. And today is a day I believe God's going to move and bring restoration. I'm believing by faith. Listen, I cannot, I, I, it doesn't matter how many words I say or how much I talk about it. It has to be an act of God. You understand? Like we're, we're still fully dependent upon the supernatural activity of God. I can only talk about what things that he's laid on my heart. And, and I'm believing by faith that God is going to move. So he is a God of restoration, and we see this exemplified in Jesus' ministry. Everywhere he went, his whole ministry was about restoration, right? People who were blind began to see. People who were lame began to walk. People who were deaf began to hear. We, we see this everywhere, and it wasn't just about the healing aspect of what he did, because everything he did brought life and hope. He, he brought hope to hopeless situations, you know? And so we see beyond the healing aspect, his, his impact on people like Zacchaeus. You know, here's a guy who's hated in his town. He's like the number one arch enemy. This guy's stealing money under the guise of the Roman government, you know? But, but God, Jesus' presence brought restoration to this man's life, changed his heart. He begins to give away things. He begins to give away the things that he took illegally and and, uh, abusively from his own people. The woman woman who was thrown at Jesus' feet, caught in adultery, Jesus restored her. It was powerful. You know, everyone around is like, stone her. That's what the law says. We need to stone her. And Jesus comes up with this brilliant response. Let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And one by one, all of these powerful religious people walked away and left this woman alone with Jesus. And in, those, in that moment, with very few words, he says to her, uh, woman, where are your accusers? You know, there's, there's no one left to condemn you. Something like that. I don't, I don't have the, don't quote me on that. But, you know, it, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. He restored her. Right? I mean, here's this broken woman, the Samaritan woman. We know she had problems. She had been living with five guys and, and the, uh, married to five guys. And the woman, she, the man she was now living with was not her husband. And just all kinds of problems. Probably ostracized from her community. Um, people even think that that's the, re- the reason she went to the to the pool or to the well during the middle of the day. 
But Jesus restores her. She goes back and tells, these, tell her, tells her town people, her fellow town people, about this guy she met at the well. And many of them were, were impacted by her story because she said that he was telling her things about her life that he wouldn't have known. They came out, and the Bible talks about this powerful encounter in that village amongst those people. And he brought, he brought credibility and restoration to this woman's life. It's, it's Jesus and what God wants to do for us. It's, it's amazing. It's simply amazing. We could go on and on about the lives that, that have been impacted. And I think one more is worth sharing because this is so touching to me. Um, Jesus and his, his fellow disciples go across the, the lake to the other side and they meet this man. He was a Gadarene and he was so possessed by the enemy that he lived among tombs, a cemetery. And, um, I mean, he would cut himself and cry out. They would chain him hand and foot and he would break free from it. I mean, just total, uh, total possession. And, you know, when I say possession, that makes a person sound bad. It's not the person. You understand, this is the activity of the enemy. He tries to destroy people. He tries to hurt people. And this man was set free that day. And the next picture we see is this man at Jesus' feet, wanting to go with him. I mean, could you imagine such a drastic life change? And Jesus says, go to your people and tell them about the good things that God has done for you. He restored him that day. Jesus was all about uh, restoration. Jesus was all about um, seeing people taken from what they were in that moment and put to a place where God had purpose for them, planned for them, restored them. And so I want to share with you two quick thoughts today related to this topic. And um, I, I just pray that your heart is open because God, God is amazing. And, and what he's done for others, he can do for us in this very room today. What he's done for others, he's no respecter of persons. He wants to do It's his will that his people are free. It's his will that people walk in the freedom of the knowledge of God, in their full identity, in the fullness of what God has purposed for them. And we know we have an enemy out there that's trying to suppress us and hold us back, lie to us, deceive us, get us to believe things about ourselves and about others that are not true. And so today, I believe in that today is a restoration. So I have two thoughts today, uh, two main thoughts that I want to share with you. The first one is this, that he restores hope to hopeless people. He restores hope to hopeless people. And in so doing, um, he brings total freedom. Now, this hopelessness can come from any variety of ways. It could come from believing lies, like I just mentioned. It could come from our, uh, our own negligence or sin and our own choices. It could come from the choices that other people make that have impacted us. It, it could come from life's experiences. Now, all of us know in this room that no matter what people tell you, life can be hard at times. And sometimes the things we go through can put us in a, in a place or a position of thinking related to hopelessness. We can look around and just feel like there's no hope left. There's, there's nothing I can do to change this situation. And I want to tell you that he, he brings restoration or he restores hope to hopeless people. This is the God we serve. This is what he does. Time and time again, uh, we can see that. And the reality is in our world, people, it's easy for people to almost be treated like trash. Throw away, throw away people, you know? When people mess up, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sorry I gave you a chance. I'm sorry you messed up again. I, I don't want anything to do with you. This is a story that really has been just burning in my heart that I want to share with you. That Jesus, he could have took that position, but he showed that that is not God's heart. To cut people off, to write them off, to throw them away to say, There's no, I have no value for you anymore in my life. That's not God's heart. And so um, it's probably quite a familiar story 
because we read it four times in the Gospels. So you read through the Gospels, you read this story four times. Jesus, nearing the end of his life, takes his disciples to dinner. You know, it's, uh, it's associated with the Passover and him going into the garden and sweating drops of blood. And in that, in that period of time, he's trying to warn his disciples, as he had been all along, I- I'm going to die. It's going to be over for me. The, the religious leaders are going to take my life. And all of you guys, you see, you're united now, you're together now, we're eating a meal together now, you're going to be scattered. Things are going to change. And Peter uh, so boisterously uh, responds, listen, I don't care if all of them scatter. I don't care if all of them abandon you. I will never leave you. I will die for you. I love you. I am your disciple. You can count on me. You might be able to not count on all those other guys, but you can count on me. And Jesus, in his loving, kind way, says, you know, the reality is, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that he did. Peter ended up denying Jesus, and it ended up creating this mess. Peter starts cursing, cursing himself. He's crying. He's weeping bitterly. He's broken. He's failed his Lord, you know. And then days start to unfold. Days. Jesus dies. Days go by. Jesus resurrects. Days go by. Weeks start to go by. And here's Peter stewing in his own uh, denial, in his own, in his own position of letting the one that he said I would die for, um, um, he denied him, you know. And he's, he's feeling the wounds of that, you know. And back to the thing about trash. The reality is, Jesus, he, he could have moved on. He could have taken the other disciples and said, well, this guy denied me, this guy, you know. I, I told him what he was going to do. He told me I was wrong. He did it anyway. And I'm going to move on. I'm going to find some other people that will follow me. And a lot of times we do that, you know. We give up on people so quickly. But that is not Jesus. Jesus, we find him pursuing Peter. And so Jesus, over a period of 40 days, revealed himself to his disciples. This is after he died, was buried, and resurrected. He reveals himself to his his disciples. And in John 21, I want us to turn there. We should have the scriptures on the, on the screen for you. But it's important if you can underline key words and things like that, that you have your Bible. In John chapter 1, we begin to see Jesus and his process of restoration. And this is very important because what he did for Peter, I believe he can do for any one of us. Now, Peter was licking his wounds. He was disappointed, probably kicking himself. Stupid, stupid. How could you do this? You know? And, and you know, when, when you add a period of time to your transgression, many times you think about it. You, you replay it in your mind. You wish you could do it differently. You, you, you try and find blame for other people. But the reality is you just... It just eats away. It gnaws away at your soul. And I could see this happening in Peter's life. I could see him struggling with this reality personally. I could see uh, him, him being so disappointed in himself and being riddled with hopelessness at this point. And this, the chapter begins with Peter announcing to the disciples, I'm going fishing. I, I'm I'm going to go back to what I used to do. This is not saying that he quit this Christian life. It's not saying he, he gave up on following Jesus. It's not saying that. But he went to something that was a little bit familiar from his past. And, and so he, he went fishing and he brought some disciples with him to go fishing. And interestingly, wouldn't you know, the Bible tells us that they caught nothing all night. I've gone fishing at night. It's, it's a struggle. First, you're tired, and you, when you're not catching anything, it's very disappointing. And so this is what happened to these professional fishermen. But in this, I believe, and I propose, that Peter began to lose sight 
of all the things that Jesus told him that his life would be about. He began to lose sight. In hopelessness, he began to lose sight of where he was going, what he was purposed for, what he was called to, and he had the spirit of quit on him. He, He just wanted to quit. He wanted to give up on some things through this disappointment. And, and so this is Peter. And we pick up the story in verse 15 of John 21. And here Jesus appears on the shore. He calls to his disciples, Hey friends, did you catch anything? And they're like, no. Cast your net on the other side. And wouldn't you know it, they cast their net on the other side of the boat. And the net was so full that the boat began to sink. Peter realizes that it's the Lord and he puts on his coat. Now, I don't know why you'd put on your coat to jump in the water. But he put on his, his coat, jumped in the water, and swam to the shore while the boat was pulling this net full of fish in to the shore. And it was loaded with 153 large fish. 153 of them. There's got to be some significance to that. I just don't have it, okay? Um, but they recognized it was Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, I think that Jesus appeared in that moment for this main reason, to restore Peter. And he had to do it right in front of all the other disciples. And so um, we pick up the story in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus already had fish and bread there and a fire going. Go figure. This is amazing. And they ate a meal. And when they had finished, it says that Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now keep in mind, it's very, very likely that Peter is disappointed, brokenhearted. He might be the talk of the other disciples. You know, you knew they were posturing themselves, right? Who's the greatest? Uh, You know, who's going to... Who's going to sit at your right and your left hand? And they're manipulating and maneuvering, trying to posture themselves in, a, in position. And, you know, Peter blew it. It's like you at work. You know, you're going after this amazing position. You're, you're fighting. You're battling. You're giving it your all. You're staying late. You're coming in early. You're doing above and beyond what you're being asked to do. And all of a sudden, you blow it. And all, you're thinking in your mind, you know... I I did something wrong. I was probably next in line for the promotion, but now the reality is I'm probably at the bottom, um, the bottom of the promotion line. You know, I I just blew it. It's over for me. And this, I I could see all these thoughts going through the minds of the disciples. Like, you know, Peter was something great. He said he was something great, but when it really came down to it, he wasn't something great. Peter was not something great. And here we see Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And a lot of scholars will tell you uh, or argue, what is these? What is these? Is it these fish? You're going back fishing? Do you love me more than fish? Fishing in your old life? That could be. Do you love me more than these disciples? I mean, you know, you're, you're seeming to hang out with them. Uh, you know, you haven't let them down. You let me down. I think it's this. This is what I think. It's only a thought, okay? I think he's saying, do you love me more than these guys do? You told me time and again, you'd die for me. You told me time and again that it wouldn't matter what they did. You were going to stand with me. You were going to stand for me. You were going to be there. Do you love me more than than these guys do? That's what I think it means. And it would make sense if you follow out the rest of the story. Now keep in mind, Jesus is asking this question in front of everyone else. He's, you know, I, I, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, you know, couldn't we just go for a walk or something, you and I? Do we have to have this conversation publicly? Does this got to be in front of everyone else? I mean, there's already this competition thing going on. There's already, you know, these thoughts of posturing going on. Can't we just... Settle this privately. But Jesus, you know, in his loving, kind way, um, makes this public. And the reality is, I can see uh, Peter being challenged to uh, look in Jesus' eye. I I could see it being a challenge. 
for Jesus, for Peter to not want to look Jesus square in the eye. And here's why I, I say this. It was the last time he caught Jesus' eye was on that third denial. The Bible says that he denied him. He, he cursed, I don't know the man. And all of a sudden it says Jesus looked at him. And Peter was broken in that moment. But, but I want you to know that Jesus is pursuing Peter. It was, it, was, it was through God's order that the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going to meet you guys in Galilee. See, God is in pursuit of his people, even when they're living in hopelessness, even when they're missing the mark, even when they're falling short of what their hopes are and dreams are and their passions are. See, God pursues people. That's who he is. That's who he is. Uh, Whereas we are more quick to give up on people, God does not give up on people. He does not. And I'm so thankful for that. He would have many reasons to give up on me. But he's not going to give up on me and he's not going to give up on you. So Jesus, uh, representing God, is in pursuit of Peter. And, and Peter is here um, grappling with this question, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And his response, Peter's response says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. In essence, he's, he's saying, what I called you to, I still want you to go after. What you were purposed for, all that stuff I said to you before, it's still, it's still available to you. It's not over for you. And the reality is, I believe many of us in this room need to hear that question, do you love me more than these? Because I can tell you and speak for myself that it's usually, it's, it can be some major things, but many times it's subtle things that get us off track and, and convince us that we are not the person for the job. That that call maybe once was there, that 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 passion that was in our heart once was there, is there no more, and God moved on from us. Let me tell you something. God has not moved on from you. God has not moved on from you. And you need to hear those words. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Are are you willing to reconsider what I spoke to you so long ago? Are you willing to reconsider the prophecies that were spoken to you? The times that as you were studying and worshiping in my presence, that you, that you heard me say things to you. The times that the word of God was highlighted so clearly to you. You underlined it, circled it, dripped tears of joy on those pages. And he's saying, do you love me more than these? Maybe you've made some stupid choices since those days. Maybe... You've, you've messed up, and God restores messed up people. I want you to know that. It's not over for you. And so Peter is a little probably dumbfounded by the question. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he's saying, I want you to get back to the things that matter. Stop dilly-dallying, stop drifting, stop wasting time. Start going after the things that you're supposed to go after. Don't let that thing derail you. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, you messed up so much that you can't go on anymore. It's a lie. It's a lie. So Jesus, again in verse 16 says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Put yourself in, the, in this position for a moment. You're looking around. You're probably watching the reactions of your fellow disciples. Maybe a little bit intimidated to look Jesus in the eye. You've been walking in disappointment for maybe as many as 40 days because you failed 
You don't like yourself. You rehash this thing a million times in your mind over and over and over again. And here Jesus comes again. Do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. I'm sure his voice is raising too, by the way. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In these moments, I think there's this divine heart surgery going on in Peter's life. I mean, he could have thrown in the towel. He could have quit. But he was going through the motions. He was still with the disciples. He didn't abandon them. He's the kind of guy that would have continued to go to church even though in his heart, severely disappointed. He would have smiled when it was time to smile and greet one another when it was time to greet one another, but inside there was total uh, destruction. He's just broken beyond belief because he looks around him and he knows that these people know about him and they're probably not going to let it go. And he also knows that he failed the one he loves. Peter in that position is sitting right here in these pews. Because we've all in some way, shape, or form, and I'm not going to categorize everyone, but many of us are going through the motions because we feel like we can't get to what we're supposed to get to. We can't achieve or accomplish the things that God has called us to. We don't got it in us. I can't tell you how many times I just, I just got to be raw. I can't tell you how many times I told God there's somebody better. There's somebody better to do this job. I think you got the wrong guy. And God's saying, no, you're the guy. You know, and I love, what I love about this is he personally intervenes in our tailspin. You know, he doesn't give up on us. He sticks with us. He sticks to the plan. He's going to see it through. And that is the amazing thing about God, that he can take the broken pieces of our lives, whether it's the most major sin that no one knows about or these subtle things that gnaw away at your purpose. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. If we're, not, if we're not pursuing what God called us to, it doesn't matter what major or minor thing is behind us. Something is pulling us from what God wants us to do, right? And so um, he, he's able in his restoration process to pick up these broken pieces. It doesn't matter if we feel like a failure, insignificant, you know, like we missed our moment, um, like we've let God down and there's no way to get back to what we once were. It doesn't matter because God is a God of restoration. This is what he does. He restores people. He restores people. And I want to say this to you very specifically. How you feel is not representative of how you're doing. Sometimes we let our feelings dictate everything about who we are and what we do. How you feel is not indicative or does not represent how you're doing. We need to begin to see from God's perspective. Because he would say, you may say, but I'm insignificant. I've failed. I've let God down. I've disappointed him. I'm not going to be able to make it. And he would say, but you're my son. You're my daughter. I can take care of this. You know, I've got this. It's going to be okay. It's not a, as big of a deal as you think it is. You know, I, I can change everything. I can fix anything. You know, 
I, I can take care of this. This is what we need to hear about God. Listen to me. Um, every week, God is restoring people at this altar. Every single week. You may not hear all the stories. Every single week, there's restoration happening. Not only at this altar, but in our city. Because people dared to believe that God could use them. I I want you to know something about Peter. He left those moments with Jesus. He He got filled with the Holy Spirit a short time later. And he was one of the most instrumental people in changing the world. Literally, it could be as short as 10 days or maybe slightly more, 20 days later after this conversation, Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. Talk to me. Listen to me. Jesus is amazing. And his restoration is complete. That's what he does. You know, he takes those wounds and he, he makes it all right. It doesn't erase them. The scars will be there from our past, from our brokenness, from the things that we go through. But he, he makes it all right. He gives you the ability to go on. So my first thought is he restores hope to hopeless people. Here's my second thought. He restores hope to hopeless situations. He restores hope to hopeless situations. Jesus said this, is there anything too difficult for me? We look at it and we say it's hopeless. It'll, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, and we could say, you know, well, God can restore money. God can restore uh, things. You know, God, God is able to restore things. But I, I just don't know if my situation qualifies. I don't know if he's, he might be able, but I don't know if he's willing to restore my, me and my situation. And in Joel chapter 2, 25, I want you to see this. I'm skipping over some stuff just for the sake of time. Um, but in your notes, once again, you'll have, you'll have the verses that I was going to use. In Joel 2.25, he says this. I will restore or repay. NRV says repay you. The, the verse, if you look at most of the translations, they will use the word restore. But he says in NRV, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I'm going to restore some stuff in your life. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of some stuff. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring it back and make it as if, uh, just like it was originally purposed. I'm going to make it like it was when it first came into your life. I, I'm going to do that for you. This is what Jesus, this is what the Word of God says. And let me just say specifically, he's, he's writing to the Israelites and he's speaking about some promises that were to come um, related to the return of the Lord or the day of the Lord. But just a few verses later, it talks about, in that day I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And we know that was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, right? It's quoted in Acts chapter 2. So here, we're talking about God's process of restoration that I'm going to say that we need to receive by faith, Okay. Because there's promises in the word of God. This was directed to the Israelites. But I believe that we could receive this. That God is a God of restoration back then. And he's a God of God restoration now, today, in our lives. Amen? And so, in that case, the locusts had ruined years of crops. The locusts had come and eaten uh, their crops. And the farmers' fields were in disrepair. They were not yielding, um, not yielding a harvest. And God promised to restore the land to its original condition and restore what was lost. Now, this is something only God can do. You know, this is only something God can do to restore something that was lost. No man can do this. But I want you to see something because, you know, we could get a lot of things back in our own doing. You know, we could lose a house and get a house. We could lose a job and get a job. We could lose money and get money. We could lose a spouse and get a spouse. There's a lot of stuff we can get back. But one of the things we can never get back is time. But this verse says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. This is something that only God can do, right? This is some 
supernatural activity because a lot of us honestly have wasted time. We've lost time. We've, we've wasted stuff. We've wasted time on stuff or on pursuits. You know? And some, for some of us, time has been stolen from us. Some of us have been robbed of the most precious and valuable resource human beings have. Time. And God says, I can, I can restore that. I don't know, I, I can't describe to you how or in what way applies to you, but I, I see what the Word of God says. Time. The years. Some of us have wasted years of our lives. A few years back, there was a, a situation where there were several families leaving the church. It was a very hard time. It, personally, um, it, it hurt, you know. And I remember being so focused on that that uh, I, was, I was sort of reeling. You know, I was in a spin cycle of dealing with the hurt and why and trying to correct the problem. And, and hopefully I could prevent other people from leaving and, you know, believing something that I didn't feel was true at all. And I, I lost time. I lost time because I was investing time in something that was unfruitful. Those people were never going to come back, you know. But it was months and months and months. This thing was just destroying me on the inside, you know. But, but I feel like God brought so many more as a result of those leaving. In fact, God said something to me unsolicited. Someone came up and said, you know, God says that he's going he's gonna to more than double what, what is gone, what is left. There's been no loss. There's been no loss. And that's not to say those people weren't valuable. It was just God doing something. In them. Sometimes people have to be shifted in order for God to do something, you know? Right. So, um, so whether we lost time, relationships, whether we lost anything, God is able to do something amazing. And um, I'll just give you three, three thoughts about the things that have been lost in our lives. Lost years can represent painful years. You know, uh, years of sickness, years of uh, grieving over lost loved ones, years where there was pain. And, you know, in the midst of it, we've sort of, we sort of checked out from our purposes. We checked out from the plan that God has for us. We've checked out. And years can go by. But God is saying, I can restore those years to you. I can heal you, not only deal with the time period, but I can also heal your heart. I can make it okay to go on. I can give you permission to go forward. I can restore those years that are representative of pain in your life. I can can restore selfish years. The years that you lived selfishly. uh, You know, where maybe you gave your life to Jesus, you know, but he was just another piece of your very, very, very busy schedule. And many times he got slipped to the back as far as priority goes. You know, and he wasn't, he wasn't number one in your life. And you were pursuing things that mattered to you. I can restore those years. And I can restore all that was lost in that time period. The years wasted on yourself. The years wasted pursuing your desires. And the reality is now that maybe you have something going on inside of you, a spiritual awakening of of sorts, um, you know, maybe even now today, um, you're saying, you know, I want my life to count. I want my life to matter. I want my life to make a difference. And and God is saying, I could go back and restore some things. It may seem hopeless. It may seem impossible. But I am the God who, who restores hopeless situations. And here's my last thought, that lost years can be restored, represented by rebellion. You know? Many of us, I, you know, I, I can say that there was a period of rebellion in my life. I was serving God, then I chose to pursue, uh, you know, the interests of sin and things that I wanted, the things that mattered to me. And God can deal with that. God can deal with that because he is more interested not in punishing you. Might I note to you that he never condemned Peter? He never embarrassed him. He never yelled at him. He never shamed him. He loved him. 
And he could take that stuff, that rebellion stuff, and work it out for his glory and his good. And I want to do something as I close right now. This is, this is something that I feel is very important for all of us in this room. And here it is. The first thing is, there are people right now. You walked in the door of this place, and you feel like my life is just surrounded by hopelessness. My life is surrounded by hopelessness. I, I just, you know, no matter how hard I look, no matter how hard I try, it just feels like it's going nowhere. And this could be the result of any number of things in your life. And I want us to, I want us to boldly make a declaration that God is restoring. Amen? Today, God wants to restore us. God wants to restore us. He doesn't want us uh, drifting, wandering, missing the mark, missing our purposes. He wants to get us back on track. He wants us to know it's going to be okay. He wants to bind up broken hearts today. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 23, Psalm 23, he restores our soul. It's the soul, the soul realm that is, is, is marked by wounds and brokenheartedness. And it says that he restores that. Oh, restoration. What do you know? I wasn't even thinking about that. But God was. He wants to bring restoration to the lives of those who feel like it's hopeless. But secondly, maybe you're facing a hopeless situation. And you're like, this, there's nothing going on here. You know, I, I, I need a miracle, but I doubt the miracle's coming. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And so... If you're here and any of those two apply to you, I'm just going to invite you to stand. I'm not going to call you to the altar. I'm just going to invite you to stand. And one by one, uh, I'll deal with the first one. We'll pray. We'll just declare something before God. We'll align our hearts with his. And then secondly, related to situations, we're going to declare his word is true. So I'm going to invite you to stand if that applies to you. Today, I need some restoration in my life. I need some restoration in in my life. in my heart, I need some healing. I need, I need hopelessness erased. I need some hope to restore. This is, this is what God says about himself through Paul in Romans. He says, and the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. So you may overflow with hope. This is what God wants for us today. That we can be overflowing with hope, not hopeless. Amen? Amen. So let's just close our eyes in the presence of God. Let's just connect our heart with his today. And God, today we we thank you, God, that, Lord, time and time and time again, you have demonstrated that your will is to restore people. You've demonstrated through your actions that in your restoration, you take people from hopelessness to hope from one place to another. God, and today, people have acknowledged they need something from you. And so, Father, we connect our hearts with you today. We look to you. God, we ask, God, that you intervene. God, that people would walk out of this place, God, and something would be different. Something would be restored. Father, that people would see themselves again through your eyes. Fire would burn in their hearts again. God, that they would be on a mission again, God. They would be back on track. Lord, that no more drifting, no more uh, waywardness, God. But they'd be put back to their original purpose by your sovereign hand. Lord, today, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. And I just want you to repeat after me. We're just going to declare something and, and ask of God something. Lord Jesus... Today I thank you that it is your purpose and will to restore me, to make me whole again, and to bring me back to the place that you have purpose for me. And so, Lord, first of all, I acknowledge that. 
And second of all, I ask you to do that in my life. Heal me. Restore me. Place me where you want me to be. And I commit to serve you with my life, with my passions, and with my energy, and with my time. In Jesus' name, amen. And so with your eyes closed, I'm just going to pray for those who feel like they're facing a hopeless situation. You know, it is the thing, the thing that connects us to God is faith. And the reality is he tells us time and again, there's nothing too difficult for him and nothing is impossible to him that believes. And so today in your heart of hearts, I pray that God would fill you with faith to see past your situation. Many times he doesn't fix it the way we think he's going to fix it, but he fixes it. He gets us through it. He gets us past it. And so, Father, today as people have said, I've got a hopeless situation, I pray that you fill them with faith, that, Father, you cause them to see uh, your way through your eyes. God, we know that you have said you work all things out for the good of those who love you, those who are called according to your purpose. And so today we trust you. We ask that you do a miracle, God, that people would be lifted above their situation, God, that they would begin living fully for you and not hampered, not limited, not held back by the things that would seek to limit them in pursuing what you have for them. God, restore them, restore their lives, restore the situation, God. And we thank you, Father God. And we will continue to hold on to you and believe you, God, in this season, Lord. You are faithful. You've always demonstrated your greatness. You've never failed us or let us down, and we thank you for it now. And Father, I bless your people. I declare that you are good, and you're good for them. Father, you've been good in their lives, God. And so, Father, heal hearts, um, bind up brokenheartedness, God, and resolve every issue, God, according to your perfect will. We thank you now. And we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great Sunday.